Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1065. Today I'm going to get personal because it's Friday and over the last couple of months I have been asked more than a dozen times to talk about the way that I came to Jesus, the early years, and something of the background of how I grew up and how the Lord found me and brought me to Himself. You see, every testimony is unique. We all have some of the same elements. We realize that we are in need of a Savior. We realize that we, at some point, can't save ourselves. And there has to be a knowledge that is imparted. Just asking Jesus into your heart, uh, if you're talking about the blood pumper, that's not enough. People often ask me, what are the essentials that a person needs to know in order to truly be saved? Well, I will tell you, you have to understand the principle of substitution because you have to understand that Jesus died as a substitute for your sins. And some people will say, well, don't we just come to Jesus right where we are? No, we take steps toward Jesus until we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. This is why I believe that many children children go through the experience of taking steps toward God, but the parents are so anxious for them to be baptized that they let their children be baptized before they have really understood what salvation is. And please don't jump ahead of me here. I'm trying to explain to you what is, I believe, a very solid theological truth. This is why in Jewish life, a child has to be older before they go through the rituals of bar mitzvah and the son of a covenant. Jesus was 12 years old before he publicly was able to ask questions and to talk with rabbis. We have this idea that at four, five, and six, and by the way, sometimes children are growing up in homes, they are taught the Word of God, and they understand the concept of repentance. They understand the concept of substitution, which I believe is essential for a person to be saved and understanding repentance. And the idea of trust for a child comes very easy if they understand those other two previous prerequisites. But sometimes a child is just making a step toward God. They're walking toward Him. They're walking in the light they have, but they don't have saving faith yet. That is life-changing faith. I don't know when that is. And, you know, you can talk about the age of accountability, but that varies. There is no such thing as a set age. It depends upon your background, just like it does in everything else and what you heard. But I did not have enough background at an early age to give my life to Jesus and truly, truly repent of my sins and place my faith and my trust alone in Him as my substitute. You see, the atonement is substitutionary. Jesus dies in our place. He pays for our sin. It is a penal death. He dies to pay the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. That means separation from God. That means alienation from God. That means we're at war with God. And you don't have to understand all the ramifications 
theologians of justification, sanctification, glorification. You don't have to know and be a theologian, but you have to understand basic concepts in order to be saved. It's more than just, I want Jesus to be my Savior, because many times even adults don't know what that means. And so I incrementally came to Jesus, and the truth of Romans I have lived out in my life. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. The Apostle Paul says there is an intuitive, internal, subjective witness, that is, there's inherent intuitive knowledge that there is a God in every person, doesn't matter where it is. You say, well, I don't believe, it doesn't matter what you believe. That doesn't change the reality of the facts of the Word of God, the truth of God's Word. That's what Romans chapter 1, among other places, but I can hang my hat there, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, God says all of us have an intuitive witness. He said that through the Apostle Paul. But there's also an external objective witness that is in nature. The rhythm of nature, the sun, the moon, the stars, the very creation itself bears witness, the Bible says, of the Godhead. In other words, we know there is a personal God out there somewhere, a creator that has made us. And God put that knowledge within us, and then he put it in nature itself. And so I had that. I knew that. I didn't grow up in a spiritual family. And so uh, how did I grow up? Well, the first memory I had was when I was four years old. I remember as plain as day when I was four years old. And you say, well, that's it. No, it's not impossible. I'm telling you, I know where I was. I can tell you about it. And I told a lie and I tried to deceive my mother. And she looked at me and she said, Tony, that's a lie. And I said, what is that a lie, Mom? She said, just what you did. You tried to deceive your mother. And at four years of age, I felt the pain, the pain and the horrors of being found out that I had done something wrong. I didn't know all the ends of it and outs of it, but I knew I had done wrong. And I could not get away from the guilt I know now of that. That's at four years of age, but you go on, you know, and so I did. We lived on a hog farm at what was called the Forks of the River in Big Springs, Tennessee, in Meigs County, Tennessee, which is one of the smallest counties in the state of Tennessee, and at that time, one of the poorest counties in the state of Tennessee. Probably the county seat population was less than a thousand, probably five to six hundred people. And my dad ran a hog farm. He was a tenant farmer, not a sharecropper. We didn't share in anything. We had a house to live in. He took care of 800 hogs. He had some other workers, but my dad was an excellent person to work with animals, and he knew farming. And so we lived there until I was five. We lived there about a year after I was up old enough to know what was going on. And then we moved to a dairy farm in McMinn County, just south of Riceville, Tennessee. And we actually lived there twice because my dad got into it with the owner and we had to move away and then we came back. My dad had a temper. He would get into it and we'd have to move. And so we moved about every year. And any time that we were asked to leave somewhere, we would go live with my mother's mother, my grandmother, who eventually we ended up with after dad and mom left. 
When I was seven years old, I came in from school. My mom and dad had bought through FHA uh, financing a spec house, and both of them were working. My mother had gone to work, and that was part of the problem because I don't guess my dad told her very often how pretty she was or how nice she smelled. And when she went to work outside the home, there were some men that did that. And by the way, there's always someone that will do that, male or female, because the enemy of our souls and our fleshly nature is there just like that. And so some man stole my mother's heart and she gave it away to someone that wasn't her husband. And so at age seven, my mom and dad divorced and we were the only divorced boys in Riceville Elementary School at the time. And you can go back and check that. That's incredible that in a public elementary school that we were the only boys that were the sons of divorced parents. And when I was growing up, kids were not politically correct and they were brutal sometimes. And so there was a fat kid and because everybody wasn't fat, there was a skinny kid. And that was usually somebody that was just like a bone because children were not as heavy then. So there was a fat kid, a skinny kid. There was a poor kid and there was now a divorced kid. So in my grade, I was the poor kid and the divorce kid. So I had two monikers that stuck with me, and it caused a lot of trouble and anxiety and shame in my life, and I became very angry very early because my mother left. She abandoned us, and soon after that, Dad just lost his mind. He just, that was the love of his life. They'd been married 16 years. He was 22. She was 14 when they got married. She came out of an abusive, sexually abusive and molesting home, not from my grandmother, but by her grandfather, who would have been my great-grandfather. It was a horrible situation, so my grandmother wanted her out of there, out of that house, and I'll tell you more about that story later. But she signed for my mother to get married at age 14. She married my dad 22. They were married for 16 years. My mother was only 30 when she left, but she was the love of my dad's life, his first girl he'd ever kissed, first girl he'd ever gone to bed with, first girl he'd ever loved. And by the way, he loved her to the day he died, even though he met another woman after mom left and he was with her over 40 years and very faithful to her and they were to each other. And she was a follower of Jesus and she helped my dad to see things differently. But my dad was the first person I ever led to Jesus and he truly was saved. God changed his life. God radically changed him. He was not the man after he came to Jesus that he was before he met Jesus. My mom became a follower of Jesus before she died. Thank God for that. So I'll see both my dad and mom in heaven. But my grandmother took us in after dad and mom left. My grandmother was a praying woman, and so she prayed for us, and she prayed out loud. I don't think she knew how to pray silently. She just prayed out loud. And we'd just be sitting around, and she'd say, Oh, God, have mercy on me. Help me to raise these boys. Lord, I pray that they would straighten up and follow you. I pray that you would save them. And one of the things that turned my life around was my grandmother. She was cooking one morning, and I can remember she was standing over a wood cook stove. And uh, we had an electric stove, but she was always afraid of it. Somebody had given us a stove and a refrigerator, but she was afraid of electricity. And we only had four electrical outlets in the home. We were four light bulbs away from being Amish. I mean, that's just the way that we grew up. No running water in the home, no outhouse, no toilet. We were the early environmentalists, we let nature take its course on 160 acres of woodland, very little cleared. 
And so my grandmother, I heard her in the kitchen one morning, and she was wailing. We all, the boys, all of us slept in another room. There were only four rooms in the house, a kitchen, a dining room, a living room, and a bedroom. And all of us boys slept in one room, and my grandmother slept in the room that we heated with a heater. So she slept in the living room. Again, no running water, uh, only four electrical outlets, four light bulbs in the whole home. This was in the 60s and 70s. Basically, my grandmother raised us the same way she raised my mother in the 30s and 40s. Nothing had changed in the home. Nothing had changed with electricity or water or anything like that. Again, I think it was 1966 before we had a refrigerator and someone gave us one. It was a Philco, I remember, and it had as much chrome as the car I eventually got as my first car had on it. But it was so wonderful to have a refrigerator because before that, after milking cows, my grandmother would take cream. I remember it very well. She would make butter and we would gather eggs and we would barter eggs and butter for those things that we didn't have money to buy. And that made our grocery bill that we paid once a year much less. And so we bartered for coffee, meal, sugar, flour, those kind of things. And the rest of it we raised. My grandmother canned everything or dried everything. And we killed hogs and never ate beef or anything like that. We didn't butcher cattle. But we always had hogs and we killed hogs and those kinds of things. The reason I'm telling you that is my grandmother... She always, we had to be at the table at five o'clock in the morning because we had to get ready and we had to do things around the house. So my grandmother was in there cooking. It was about 4.30 one morning and I heard her wailing. She was crying and I I thought she had burned herself. Those old stoves were hard to regulate and they're hot all over. And so I thought she had burned herself. And so I crept in there, didn't want to scare her because I knew she had grease, hot grease and stuff. And I was just afraid I might scare her. And so I just was in the dining room listening, and I realized she wasn't crying because she was hurt physically. She was hurt emotionally, and she was sobbing out to God to give her strength that she was tired and weary, and she was concerned about her boys. And I was up probably 14 at this time, and I must tell you, much of that time before my brother John got a bed, someone gave us a bed, we all had to sleep in one bed, and so I slept with Grammy till I was 16 years old. And I was always very embarrassed. I was afraid somebody would find out that I was sleeping with my grandmother. I know that sounds, you know, like some mountain Appalachian something. Well, it was. That's who we were. So I heard my grandmother, and so I crept in there to listen. And she was praying for God to save her boys. And I just peeped around the edge. And when I did, I saw tears just streaming off my grandmother's face, hitting on that stove and sizzling. And I I thought, oh, God, uh, what have I done? And what have we done that has hurt her so badly? She was just weeping and asking God to give her strength to get through the day. She was crippled. She always hurt. She had rheumatoid arthritis. And because she was crippled, she couldn't bend her leg. She had broken it, and they just wired her kneecap back together. So she couldn't squat. And we had no toilet. So she had to do all of her personal business outside, no running water. And so it was very difficult for her to live life, but she didn't complain or anything like that. I don't remember her as a complaining woman at all. But she was asking God to save her boys, and she was calling out uh, Jimmy. He was the oldest. That's what she called him, Jimmy. His name's James. People call him Jim now, Johnny, John, and uh, Tony. 
And uh, she would call our names out and ask God to save us and ask God to change us and ask God to protect us and watch over us. And I'm telling you, I never got away from the prayers of my grandmother. Grammy prayed for us. She loved us. And when she was hurt, when she fell and, and hurt her knee, the doctor said, many of you who are listening to this might know it was Dr. Trotter. He said, Miss McGuire, you'll never walk again. And she said, well, you just uh, watch me, Dr. Trotter, because I've got three boys God's given me to raise, and I've got to get up, and I've got to get back home. I've got to take care of those boys. I never will forget that, because she was a woman with great grit and determination, You can talk about passion all you want to, and you can talk about, you know, emotional feelings. But let me tell you, a stick-to-itiveness and grit is something that only God can give you, that endurance to help you through hard times. And God gave her grit, gave her intestinal fortitude and the ability to go on in hard times. She instilled that in us as well. When my grandmother prayed for me, I never got away from it. Even when I was out in the most horrible kind of sinful lifestyle, ugly, vulgar, just everything you can imagine I was into, just no direction, nothing whatsoever. And when I was 19 years old, I just turned 19 years old, God radically changed my life. I don't have time to go into the circumstances, but God radically changed me. And three months later, I surrendered to preach. And my grandmother, the day that I surrendered to preach, April 2nd, 1975, I came around the house, the corner outside. I had gotten a car, and I came back in. I'd been out early that morning, and I came in, and I got out of the car, and, and my grandmother was on the back porch washing clothes in a tub. I'd carried up water the night before. We either caught it off the house or had to carry it up from a spring that was off down the hill. And she would heat the water, and then she would fill up two tubs and sometimes three. If it was bleach day, she was rubbing on an old glass rub board. That rub board had been bought during World War II when the tin was used for the war effort. And so a couple of years, they made glass rub boards especially, and they were prevalent. And so she was rubbing on that rub board, and she was had her hands in hot water. And I said, Grammy, uh, she said, what's wrong, son? Uh, are you okay? And I said, yes, Grammy, God's called me to preach. And I've said, yes. And my grandmother raised her hands out of that water and began to praise God. And steam was coming off her hands. And honestly, I didn't know enough. I thought it was the Holy Spirit. And she was praising God. And she said, oh, God, thank you. He's made it. He's made it. The only thing I can think of is she had been praying for God to so change my life that she wouldn't have to worry anymore. God did that, and God changed my two brothers' lives. And this is why I understand where I have come from, and I understand who I am. And if you're listening to this podcast, and if I've ever come across as proud or arrogant, God forgive me, because I know who I am. I know the one whom I've believed And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him until the day of Jesus Christ when I stand before him. But I'm going to stand before him. Yes, a lot of people spoke into my life, but nobody like my grandmother. And I'm going to be in heaven and I'm in the ministry today because a grandmother who would not let go of God, but she prayed and prayed and prayed and did not quit. And I'm so glad that she didn't, because if she had of, things would have been different. But because she did, 
This is Tony Crisp telling you a testimony about the grace of God that changed my life as I walk on the way. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.